You're listening to the City Church Downtown Podcast. Now here's Doug Robbins. Well, good morning, nine o'clockers. How are we doing this morning? Anybody fired up, ready to be at church today? Yeah, that's what I'm talking about. Uh, so in case you're new here, we've been having a really good time imagining heaven together here at City Church Downtown. And we've done this with the help uh, of a really good book entitled Imagine Heaven, written by author John Burke. And this is a very significant book, although it's not nearly as significant as a book that we're going to take a look at later on. But since we know that there are a lot of these near-death experiences that are erroneous or fakes, we've been very careful about the ones that we've talked about here in the church. And so we've been fascinated by this Dutch researcher named Dr. Pim van Lommel, uh, who was a former skeptic of these types of stories and he thought there was a biological explanation for near-death experiences, thinking that it was just uh, a product of sensory perception or uh, a cerebral cortex that continued to function whenever someone had flatlined. But he changed his mind when he studied a woman named Vicky. Um, and Vicky's story was she was blind from birth she had a near-death experience. When she came out of it, she was able to de- describe sight. And Vicky's not alone. In fact, Dr. Van Lommel discovered many people who had been blind from birth, who had had near-death experiences and were able to come back and describe sight. So to this point, we've looked at near-death experiences that are positive, where people go to heaven. And we've tried to learn uh, how we can compare that up against the scriptures and see what heaven is going to be like so we can be encouraged by that. But are there negative near-death experiences, hellish ones. Well, the studies show that even people who have positive near-death experiences often don't report those experiences because they don't want to be labeled as crazy. So can you imagine how embarrassed people would be and reluctant people would be to share their near-death experiences if they have a negative, hellish kind of experience? But despite this, 23% of all reported NDEs are negative or hellish in nature. Most don't want to talk about it. And I'll be honest with you, as a pastor, I really don't want to talk about hell today either. Some of us have been in churches growing up where you know, you felt like a hamburger on the grill, right? You know, it's like uh, some of you like me have been in those environments. And particularly if you're a guest here, uh, we're not the type of church that tries to make you uh, feel uh, unusually bad. Uh, We are typically positive here and like to encourage you. But you know, we have to be honest at the same time. And there are things in the Bible that I don't always like and that I don't like to talk about, uh, but I'm committed to the Lord to be able to talk about the things that are encouraging, but also the things that are challenging. And I'm that kind of guy that I like everybody to like me, and I, I love you. I really do. I love people. But the most selfish thing I could do would be to never talk to you about the doctrine of hell from the Scriptures. And so I want to ask you, if you're a guest with us, to give me some grace on this, if you would. Now, a few years ago, there were a lot of conversations about hell going on in our culture. 
with the popularity of Rob Bell's book, Love Wins, and also Francis Chan's book, Erasing Hell. And I really thought that this was just a conversation going on amongst church people until I found out that both of those books were on the New York Times bestseller list. And then I saw Rob Bell uh, on the cover of Time magazine. So the conversation was much broader than just church people. In Rob Bell's book, he explains how many in our culture are repelled by Christianity because of the doctrine of hell. And what Rob says is, who would want to believe in a God who would send people to hell? Would a loving God really send people to hell? And in his book, he continues to ask some compelling theological questions about the doctrine of hell and the afterlife. And ultimately what Rob says is that most people are going to end up in heaven. And he says that even people who did not choose Christ in this life will have a chance to choose heaven after they die. On the other hand, there's Francis Chan. Chan has a great appreciation for the theological questions that were raised by Rob Bell, but Francis says our tone is very important and we have to approach this subject with extreme humility. And Chan says, you know, I want to be cautious about the phrase, uh, uh, the sentence, I wouldn't believe in a God who would fill in the blank, right? I wouldn't believe in a God who would allow people to go to hell. And Chan, with passion in his tone, says, he challenges us, he says, have you ever considered that just maybe the God of the universe knows more about justice than what we do? And he continues to challenge us, saying that this subject is so important because the stakes are so high. We're talking about human lives and eternities at stake, so we have to get this issue right. And ultimately, Francis Chan says that those who have never chosen Christ in this life will spend an eternity apart from God in the next. And though I appreciate uh, a lot of the, the scholarship of Rob Bell and a lot of the questions he raises, and I agree with him on a lot of interpretation, on this particular issue, I resonate mostly with Francis Chan. I do believe that the Bible is clear on its teaching on hell. And the Bible um, is the highest authority when we're making decisions about our philosophy of life or doctrines, as some would call it. And one of the factors that influences our interpretation of the Bible is experience, right? Experience. So today, we're going to show you the experience of a man named Howard Storm who was an atheist college professor that flatlined on a trip to Paris in a hospital there. He had a near-death experience. And as Howard was out of his body, he experienced these shadowy creatures, if you will, beings, who called to him, Howard, Howard, come with us. And listen to Howard Storm explain what happened next in this near-death experience. As we went, it got darker and darker, and they came in closer and closer, and more and more of them were around me. And now, as I asked them questions like, where are we going, how much further, things like that, uh, 
they started to become more rude and say things to me like, shut up. Don't ask questions. You'll find out. You don't need to know. Keep moving. Keep moving. Move it. You know, like that. And I'm like, getting pretty intimidated. That becomes fear. That becomes terror. Now, this is over a journey of miles and miles and miles. Eventually, it's so dark, I'm aware I can't see anything anymore. It's pitch black. And I, I figure, I'm, I'm done. You know, I've had it. And so I said, I'm not going any further. And they said, oh, yes, you are. You've got further to go. And I said, I'm not going. And so they started to tug at me and push at me. And I had played football and wrestled in high school, so I knew how to play that game. You know, and, um, you know, taking hits and giving hits is, wasn't a problem. So I'm like trying to fend them off by punching and um, slamming them, and they're pulling and tugging at me. What they were doing was just playing with me, toying with me. Um, and at first it was pushing, kicking, pulling, hitting, and then that became biting and tearing with their fingernails and hands. And they were taking pieces of me. And there was a lot of laughter, a lot of very foul language. And then they became more invasive. There has never been a horror movie or a book that can begin to describe their cruelty because their cruelty was pure, purely sadistic. I know that they got nothing out of it. It was simply something to do. And I'm very aware that they were so empty so without compassion or feeling for me that it was just amusement for me to scream and yell and fight back. And the less that I had the strength and the ability to fight back, the less interested they were in me. Eventually, I was eviscerated. I, was, um, I definitely lost one of my eyes. My ears were gone. Um, and I'm laying on the floor of that place. And I just want to say that the emotional pain of what they had done to me was worse than the physical pain. The, the physical pain was pain from head to foot, just solid, horrible, acute pain on a scale of 1 to 10, 10 total. Didn't begin to match what I felt on the inside was, you know, um, having been taken down to nothing. I mean, the worst things that you could possibly imagine had happened to me and more. So let's hear what uh, we're going to study and read what the Bible says about this place. And the clearest passage about afterlife hell in the Bible is actually Revelation chapter 20. And Revelation is a significant book. It's not nearly as significant as a book we're going to see later on. We're going to study this passage verse by verse today, and the first thing we're going to see as we explore Revelation 20 is there will be no place to hide. Look at Revelation 20, 11 
through 12. It says, and I saw a great white throne and the one sitting on it, the earth and sky fled from his presence, but they found no place to hide. I saw the dead, both great and small, standing before God's throne. And when people see God's throne, they're not going to see casual cool guy Jesus, okay? It's not going to be Jesus is my homeboy kind of Messiah at this point. It is going to be the King of kings and Lord of lords whose gaze cannot be escaped. It doesn't matter if a person is a politician used to getting his or her way. It doesn't matter if the person is an attorney who knows all the legal loopholes on this earth. No one to be, will be able to escape. People who are important in this life will be called to account on that day. People who are average in this life will not be able to escape him. Smart people will be called into an account. It won't matter how smart they are, how much they can argue. Average people will be called to account. White people, black people, brown people, yellow people will have to stand before him. No one will be able to escape him. No one can just press go to voicemail on their phone with him on that day. There will be absolutely nowhere to hide. In addition to an inability to hide, people's lives will be open books at that point. Look at Revelation 20, 12 through 13. It says, and the books were opened and the dead were judged according to what they had done as recorded in the books. The sea gave up its dead and death and the grave gave up their dead and all were judged according to their deeds. So every single sin and dysfunctional behavior in us will be evaluated. It will be brought to light. There will be absolutely no secrets. Your life will be judged and there will be no excuses. There will be no he said, she said kind of arguments going on and no legal loopholes. All people's eternities will be judged by God with absolute fairness. It's not the kind of fairness we experience here on earth with human bias, but it will be absolutely true fairness in a life review, a life review that, by the way, is confirmed by people who have had near-death experiences. Now, a lot of people say, well, how can a loving God punish people eternally for finite sins? And that's not what's going on here at this judgment. Every single sin that we've committed, along with our every motive will be evaluated by God a perfectly just and absolutely fair being. And everyone will be exposed to his perfect, powerful gaze. Now, after people's sins are exposed, many will experience what the Bible uh, calls a fiery pain. Look at Revelation 20:14. It says, then death and the grave were thrown into the lake of fire. This lake of fire is the second death. Now, part of the pain there will be the lack of choice at this point. The Bible says people are thrown, and so it's like against people's will at this point. Part of the pain will be the absolute absence of God in the equation. Currently, even people who don't believe in God experience the benefits of his presence here on the earth. We get to enjoy oxygen and sunshine and rain. 
God keeps the earth on its axis so that we have an environment in which we can enjoy living. But God's presence will be uh, absent from that place. Now, some people have asked over the years, is the fire literal in the Bible? And I've got to be honest, I don't know. I mean, I've studied this for probably 30 years, and I've read a lot of Bible scholars who would say that the fire may not be literal, uh, that it may just be figurative, but they say it will be something else, worse, <laughs> worse than fire, like a fire that never consumes things, but uh, is, uh, continues to burn hot and cause people to suffer. And the way, uh, one of the ways that C.S. Lewis helped me to think about the, the fire of hell, it's kind of like when you have an addiction in your life and you commit yourself to an addiction or a dysfunctional behavior or a sin, it becomes like a candle-sized flame in your soul. And as you feed that addiction and that sin, uh, the flame grows to a larger fire. And some of us in this life have gotten to a place where our addiction has become like a huge bonfire. Well, if in eternity we're eternal beings, we, what happens after we've lived for a million years outside the presence of God, continue, continuing to contribute towards our addictions and dysfunctional behavior, that flame continues to grow and consume us and destroy us. C.S. Lewis was an atheist term believer, Oxford scholar, and here's what he said. Look, he said, sin is man saying to God through life, go away and leave me alone. Hell is God's finally saying to man, you may have your wish. It is God leaving man to himself as man has chosen. And so a lot of people choose this. They do not want God and give God the stiff arm and it creates a fire that continues to consume. Now the late Dr. Maurice Rollins records the pain of hell in his book, entitled Beyond Death's Door. And Dr. Rollins, I wanted to give you some of his credentials. He was a physician to President Dwight Eisenhower, and he served as the physician to the Joint Chiefs of Staff. He was a prominent national teaching faculty of the American Heart Association, um, and he's lectured in medical schools in America and throughout the world. But Dr. Rollins, at one point in his life, did not believe in an afterlife, and he did not believe in a literal hell. And he started recording these near-death experiences when he saw that many of them had the same kinds of details as he recorded them. And the experience that started his research was when he was doing a treadmill test on a 48-year-old mail carrier. And the mailman collapsed on the treadmill flatlined, stopped breathing, his heart stopped, he started turning blue. And Dr. Rollins started to uh, initiate CPR and did the chest compressions and the like. And as he did this, the man would fade in and out of consciousness. And as he would fade in, he would say, please, doctor, don't stop. Please don't stop. I'm going to hell. Please don't stop. And typically, those of you who have worked in the medical field know that when, when CPR is done, most of the time the patient wants you to stop because oftentimes the chest compressions cause ribs to break and it's a painful experience. But this guy's saying, no, please, please don't stop. And one of the times when he faded in, he says, please pray, pray with me, doctor, pray with me. Um, and 
Dr. Rollins is like, hey, look, I'm a doctor. I'm not a pastor. I don't, I'm not going to pray. And the guy kept begging him, please pray with me. And so finally, uh, Maurice Rollins just calls up some knowledge he had from having gone to Sunday school as a child. And he just led the guy in a brief prayer saying, Jesus, please save me from hell. And that seemed to make the guy feel better. And he continued to go in and out of consciousness. And now he wasn't experiencing hell. Uh, Thank God that Dr. Rollins was able to save this guy's life. Consequently, in a follow-up appointment, uh, Dr. Rollins interviewed this guy. And he said, what were you experiencing in hell? And the guy couldn't remember it. He couldn't remember the hell part. And Rollins uh, suggests that it's probably so traumatic that the guy disassociated uh, the experience in his consciousness because it was so grueling and uh, so traumatic for him. And we experience that type of thing in counseling all the time. But this experience caused Maurice Rollins to go home and dust off the only Bible he had. He read through the Gospels. He believed in Christ. Um, and it changed his whole life. And so according to an esteemed faculty member of the American Heart Association, the afterlife is real, and so is hell. And Dr. Rollins wrote a very significant book in Beyond Death's Door, although it's not nearly as significant as a book we're going to see later on. Now, what is the one book that matters? See, throughout this talk, I've referenced, I think, what, five or six books or so. There's, uh, you know, of course, John Burke's book and Francis Chan and Rob Bell, and we've also referenced Beyond Death's Door by Maurice Rollins. And all of these people, all of these authors would say that when we stand before God, none of their books are going to matter. In fact, on that day, even the Bible will not be the book in which most people are interested. And you know, Typically, we have what we call the big idea in our talks, right? We try and present one idea and drill down on that one idea for a service. But today, a big idea is trite when you consider the magnitude of what we're dealing with in the subject matter today. So rather than having a big idea today, I want to pose to you one colossal question. And this is the biggest question in your life. And it's simply this, is your name recorded in the book of life? Is your name recorded in the book of life? Perhaps God brought you here to this place today for the purpose of you dealing with the most colossal question in your existence, is your name recorded in the book of life? And if you know the answer to that question and you feel solid on that one, I need to pose a follow-up question, and it's this. Are the names of the people that you love the most recorded in the book of life? Let's look at that last verse in Revelation 20, verse 15. It says, and anyone whose name was not found recorded in the what? Book of life was thrown into the lake of fire. Look. Whatever that lake of fire is, literal or not, whatever it is, we know it's not good, right? 
And we love you here, and we don't want you to experience that. So how does one get his or her name recorded in this book of life that the Bible talks about? And by the way, the Bible is not just a bunch of opinions of men. It is a book that has stood the test of time. It is a book that is inspired by God way beyond just the inspiration of a poem or a rock song, okay? This thing is the corpse that keeps outliving all its pallbearers. People keep trying to bury it, and it continues to be the number one bestseller in the history of the world. Look. So please, even I, I totally understand if you're skeptical of this stuff, but please consider the truths of this book for your eternity's sake and because of the colossal question today. So how do you get your name recorded in the most significant book, the book of life? Let's check back in with Howard Storm and see the rest of his experience so that we might see how we can get our names recorded in the book of life. Take a look. And as I'm thinking about, there's no hope, there's no way out. And I, I am in the um, bottom of the pit of hopelessness and despair and self-pity, whatever. In that, this memory comes of myself as a little boy sitting in a Sunday school classroom singing, Jesus Loves Me. And I could see myself vividly so innocent, so sweet, so naive, mm. simple, and feeling what I felt when I was like a little boy, like maybe eight or nine years old or whatever. Jesus loves me, this I know. That's what I kept hearing over and over again. But more importantly than the memory, than the words, was I felt what I'd felt as a little boy. And what I felt as a little boy was this simple, this beautiful Superman figure, better than Superman, loved me, cared about me, and when I prayed to him, he took care of me. And I believed in him. When I was 12 years old, I asked my pastor to baptize me, and he baptized me because I wanted it. Mm. Um, but I had put, all, and put that all away behind me, beside me, and denied it all, and mocked it all, and... Um, and now all of a sudden, it was all I had. I had nothing else. I'm, scra I'm scraping the bottom of the barrel mm -hmm. of what might be possible. So um, I thought about that too, and I thought, he, why would he care about me? Even if he is, why would he care? He must hate me. I'm so sorry. Mm -hmm. And I thought, enough of this. I'm done. I don't have anything else. Jesus, please save me. And when I said that, I saw a light, tiny little speck of light, and it very rapidly got very bright and came over me. And I saw out of the light hands and arms emerge out of this impossibly beautiful white light, which, by the way, isn't light, because I worked as a welder for a year, and if it had been light, I would have been toasted. I mean, I would have been like a marshmallow thrown into the campfire. I mean, it's so intense. It's way brighter than the sun or anything you can be, way brighter than welding. Mm. And uh, these hands and arms came out and they reached down and they touched me. And when they touched me, um, in that light, I could see me and all the gore, and I was roadkill, all that gore, 
began to just dissolve and I became whole. And much more significantly to me than was the physical healing was that I was experiencing a love that is beyond, far beyond words. If, if I, I've never been able to articulate it, but I can say that if I took all my experience of love in my entire life and could condense it into a moment, it still wouldn't begin to measure up to the intensity of this love that I was feeling. So some people think that the doctrine of hell makes God out to be the bad guy, but according to Howard Storm's story, it's the opposite. God is the good guy, the loving guy. Look, as a pastor, I have to hear some horrible things sometime in people's stories. I've had to hear about a woman who's satanically and ritually abused by her family members growing up. I had to look into the eyes of a Liberian friend who had to watch her parents murdered by rebels in an ISIS kind of a way. And that's just a couple of stories for you. Look, if you take all the abuse, all the filth, all the sin, all the killing and stabbing and murdering on our earth, God has to look at all of it at one time. If you and I had to look at what God sees in the sin of this world at one moment, we would throw up, we would have to go to therapy for the rest of our lives. And God has to see it all. And that is all of what came upon Jesus on the cross not just in our lifetime but in all of history all the filth all the guilt and shame all the addiction all the murders all the abuse came upon Jesus upon the cross it was so intense that he said oh father God God why have you forsaken me he was separated from his father for the first time in all of eternity because of my sin and because of yours how much must he value you how much must he love you that he was willing to endure that separation and experience all of that pain in one moment on the cross and he did it because he wants to record your name in the book. So I'm going to challenge you to do something now. If you would like to record your, your name to be recorded in the book of life, I'm going to challenge and encourage you to come and kneel and pray at the front here. And I'm going to guide you in a prayer in just a minute. And others of you have someone who's come to your mind that you want to make sure their name is recorded in that book. And I'm going to challenge and invite you as well to stand up as the band plays and come to the front and kneel and pray for them. Would you do that for me? So let's all stand together. And as some are coming now and others are going to pray in their seats, I want to guide you in a prayer if you would like to get your name recorded in this book. And if you're walking or kneeling or standing, just pray this prayer in your own heart. Say, just between you and God, Jesus loves me. This I know. For the Bible tells me so. Jesus, I choose to believe you suffered on the cross as my substitute. Jesus, please record my name in the book of life. And God, the rest of us as a church, we ask you to fan the flames in our heart of passion and burden for those who don't know you. God, we're so comfortable in what we're doing here. 
And God, we know that you want us to have the burden of the apostle Paul who said, I would myself be accursed for the sake of my kinsmen, my brethren, according to the flesh. And God, we do not have that burden right now. But as a church, we're begging you for it. And we're asking you for it, that you would put a flame in our hearts that cares, that loves, that invites And Lord, some of us are thinking of individual people that we know and love. And if we knew that they were just going to spend one fraction of a second in a place that's apart from you, we would give all that we've got to see that they're spared from the trauma of that experience. And so, Lord God, please do an amazing work among us as we consider the truth that we don't have to experience it, nor do those that we love because of the sufficiency of what Jesus has done on the cross. Everything we need has been captured, has been accomplished in the cross. And for that, we give you praise and thanks. In Jesus' name, yes, Lord, continue to work as we sing, God. And Lord, I feel like it's so appropriate just to say uh, to you, all of our hearts are full of gratefulness and gratitude for how kind and over the top you've been good to us, particularly because of the cross. And for these things, we remain thankful and pray in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Everyone said... Amen. You guys go ahead and take a seat just for a minute. Yeah, it's good. Thanks for listening. For more information, visit citychurchdowntown.com.